Hello and welcome to a very special first birthday episode of Beer Prime recorded in person at Hopstop Bar, Rygate, Surrey. Hello and thanks for joining me. My name is Paul and I've been doing this craft beer podcast since July 2020. The very first episode went live on the 24th of July. So this episode is the first birthday special. Throughout the last 12 months, I've spoken to lots of awesome people in the craft beer industry from breweries such as Siren, Northern Monk, Brew York, Western Brewery, Elusive Brewing, Anspach and Hob Day, Amity Bruco, and so many more. I've chatted with beer writers Melissa Cole, Adrian Tierney-Jones, Matt Curtis, and Claire Bullen, plus Pete from the Brewer's Eye app, and I had an episode which featured two companies producing some of the raw ingredients of the beer we all love, hops and malt. But all of those have been over Zoom. Naturally, due to lockdowns and restrictions, this worked better, but also because the people I've spoken to have been located all over the country, such as up in Scotland, Leeds, Manchester, down in Devon, places that it wouldn't have been possible for me to just pop to and record a podcast. And another episode featured brewers from even further afield, America. I was so honoured to speak to people representing Sierra Nevada, Firestone Walker, Cigar City, Oscar Blues and Springdale, with the help of the lovely Lottie Peplo. But for the birthday special, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to record in person. Luckily, the one year anniversary of my first episode came when restrictions had been lifted. So I was able to set up in one corner of my local craft beer bar, Hopstop in Rygate, Surrey. I invited a few local breweries to come along and chat about their beers and of course bring a few along for tastings. I also had a great chat with the bar's owner, who is also the owner of an independent bottle shop not too far away, about what life is like for independents, especially with the competition of supermarkets and online retailers. The bar wasn't open for business on the day we recorded, but the keener-eared of you will possibly hear when some people excitedly knocked on the door, seeing us all in there and thinking it was open. The sound is so much better than over Zoom, as we recorded using two microphones. As we move forward, I'd love most of my episodes to be recorded in person. But with geographical restraints and increasing strain on my available time, some will still be recorded over Zoom. Although there are a few ways I'm looking at to make sure that the sound from both sides of the conversation are as clear as possible. So crack open a beer, have one or two more ready for when that one's finished, and listen to me chat with James from Hopstop, known as Rush, Gus from Pilgrim Brewery, based locally in Rygate, Morgan from Crumbs Brewery, also based in Rygate, and Ben from 360 Degree Brewing, a little further away in Uckfield in Sussex. We start with Gus from Pilgrim Brewery. So I'm joined by Gus from Pilgrim Brewery. Hi there, pleasure Hi. to meet you. Yeah, you too, thanks for coming along. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, Gus, tell us a little bit about your role at the brewery. Well, I'm, I'm a bit all over the place, I must admit, as it as tends to be with people of our size. We're only 12 barrel, so I think we all kind of pitch in a little bit, especially over COVID. It's just changed massively, to be honest. Yeah. Um, started off just as a member of humble bar staff, came out of uh, school and didn't really want to do university. Ended up 
managing the bar and then get dragged into the brewing side of things, which I kind of fell in love with. And then, you know, you have lockdown and the whole business has changed since then. So yeah, it's been quite a lot of time over the last year or so doing just deliveries, coming in, you know, coming in the morning, mashing with John, the other brewer, head out on deliveries all day and then end up coming back just as the brew's finishing, basically. So missed a bit of that, but also involved with um, beer dispense. So setting up a lot of new venues, uh, new outlets and new taps in, the, in those kind of outlets as well, which is something that's come along mainly in the past six months as we had a bit more time to to get involved in that. And, and I found that lots more places since then have, have been looking for that service. Yeah. Now, that, now that everything's opening up again, it's a bigger bigger part of our business than it ever was before. So mm-hmm. I split my time between between brewing, delivering, and then the beer dispense, really. Okay. Kind of wow. get, get to see a good good bit of everything, yeah. which is really helpful, actually, because it gives you an idea of, you know, I get to see the product as, a, as a, an ingredient. I get to turn that into a, a product, and then I get to go deliver the product and then let them serve it as well and see how it's pouring and, and see the whole process, which is really good. Yeah, fantastic. Um, it's a lot of insight, actually. Sure, Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, Pilgrim is based, for those who don't know, Pilgrim is based in Rygate in Surrey. Yeah. Um, and that is where we are at the moment. We're sitting in uh, Hopstop in Rygate recording uh, this podcast. Fantastic, actually, to be recording it in person rather than over Zoom. Which is, uh, which is definitely a big difference and something going forward that would be great. Um, tell us a little bit about the brewery itself. Um, on the logo, as I know it says that it's since 1982. Yeah, that's correct. We're really lucky to have brewing heritage behind us that we do so we're the oldest craft brewery in the southeast being founded in 1982 by quite a fundamental figure in the brewing industry called david roberts he's gone on to help set up things like seba and and was brewing at pilgrim all the way up until 2018 so that whole period it was almost like a one-man band him and his wife and uh you have other people around and about. They keep popping up every now and then. You have a new person coming along say, I used to brew here. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, so, yeah, and we're, we're really lucky to be on what pretty much the original site, the site that we're on now. We moved to in 84, uh, and it's been a brewery there ever since. Um, we're really lucky to be on the high street as well, which is huge for us because yeah. you, have, you have customers walking past all the time. It means we get to have a, a tap room that gets full every evening which is lovely mm-hmm. um and yeah predominantly in the past being definitely driven by the cast beers um a lot more kind of traditional ales and things definitely more malt forward in, in flavor too right uh, however some of these things we've, since the new owners so there's two new owners that have taken over in 2018 called rory and adrian uh a new brewer called John, he's the head brewer, and then I also joined myself in 2019, so completely new kind of staffing team yeah. now, and we're trying to keep our heritage of doing uh, car scale well. I think it's really important to do that, and, and keeping those distinctive Pilgrim flavours that we've built up over over the past 40-odd years now, mm. um, keeping the beers well-bodied uh, and really, really full of flavour, I think is key, but also keeping them drinkable. Yeah. Is the, is the kind of our motto is you can't have two of them what's the point in yeah. a way um, so concentrated on the kind of lower ABVs rather than yeah, the I big mean, imperials and it, 
yes, I'd say so. Not to say that we we don't do that, um, but and, and this is where it's kind of changing now, I suppose, um, especially with COVID. You, you lose some of those those trade outlets, which were predominantly cast beer, and it's forced us to go into more small pack or or different dispense and different serves. Um, a lot more kegging now. That's one of the massive differences that's happened. Yeah, is we've transitioned into kegging on site, um, creating two different lagers, which was never done before at, in this place. And actually, the some of these cans that we've got here in front of us. You know, those were something that's very new to the brewery in, in, in doing American hoppy, hazy beers um, as the industry is kind of going. Yeah. We're a little bit reluctant, I suppose, or hesitant to, to just follow trends. But, you know, the proof's in the pudding. It's, uh, they're lovely beers to try. And it's nice to have the, the real range that we have now. It's, yeah. it's, it's the beauty of a, small, a smaller brewery, I suppose. Being a 12 barrel, we can probably make about 21 different beers over the course of a year, with some being there all the time, other seasonals coming in and out. Sure. And that's, that's what keeps it exciting, I suppose. Excellent. Um, um, shall we uh, try one of the beers? Of course. Let's give it a go. What, what should we try with first? We'll start off low. We'll start, well, the lowest anyway. We'll start off with Pioneer. Okay. So this is um, the one we've been actually making of the, of the ones we have here for the longest. It's our American Pale. Um, and it's got lovely... Notes of grapefruit in it, um, which are kind of accompanied with a quite sharp bitterness. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can't remember the IBU, but I think it's about 48, I think. Right, okay. So this is Pioneer? Yep. So, as I said, we've been making this for a while. This is coming in a can now, which is something that's completely new to us. Um, And that means it's unfiltered in there as well which is another new step, really. And it's something that's been massive um, kind of realisation, I suppose, for our, our hoppier beers, because we were finding that when we were brewing this beer before and putting it into keg and bottle, the kind of, it, was, it, was, it was too sharp, too harsh almost. Um, and it needs, that, it needs that yeast in there to, to smooth out the flavour profiles. So instead of having the kind of, high peaks and the low troughs of, of bitterness or, or flavour mm. all round. It, it smooths out that curve a bit, I suppose, is the best way to describe it, and fills in the gaps. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is brewed with all American hops, as, as all, all of our cans are. Um, you cannot mosaic. Try and think of them all now. You cannot mosaic, and there's another one in there somewhere. I can't remember now. Okay. Well, no, this is great. I'm, I'm enjoying this so far. It's, it's got, interesting, um, actually. Now that I, you know, I try it now. If I would, if, if I, I would love to have a filtered version as well mm. to show you the difference, because you know this is meant to be our most bitter beer that we make. Yeah. And it and it is. I'm a filtered uh, version of it. However, it's interesting to try it now and and see the difference that that yeast really makes. And it's yeah, it's so crucial for the flavour. It's something that we massively missing before and it's mm. it has taken a bit of um in this area i suppose it's slightly more traditionally minded uh, it's changing a lot but this has taken a bit of working to get people on board with but now they understand it and they, they can see the the benefits of a hazy beer it's not yeah. it's not something to be uh shied away from 
yeah, I think it's coming. The time has changed, hasn't it, really? A lot of before people would have sent hazy beers back to the bar. Um, I'm sure, actually, Rush, I'm sure you've had that <laughs> in the past. Um, maybe even recently. Who knows? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's coming to a point now where I think um, so many beers are hazy uh, because of being well, refined. Well, now we have um, almost a problem where we have to, you know, through the tap room. If we put the beers in there on a Wednesday, we have to run in there on a Saturday and shake them up again because they've all settled. <laughs> um, and, right. you know, you're losing all that all that flavour, I suppose. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I love mm. It's something very new for us, but it's something that I'm, you know, it's constantly being driven. We're constantly making new uh, hazy beers, not just with American hops, a lot of New Zealand hops now too. Yeah. Um, trying to vary it up a bit. Okay. Yeah, it's really Fantastic. exciting, really exciting time to kind of be making beers because you get to get to kind of think of an idea. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes a week later you're there brewing it, which is really good. Absolutely, no. That sounds, sounds like a, a, a wonderful job to have, oh, to, really to be is. honest. You, and you're looking like you, you definitely enjoy it. Um, guys, have you tried this beer at all? Not yet. Here we go. We'll see, we'll, see, we'll see what our other guests think of the beer as well. So we, we're obviously joined also by Ben at 360 and Morgan from Crumbs and, of course, Rush from Hopstock. So in terms of the, uh, the history you mentioned um, in 1982 of Pilgrim starting, but Reigate has got um, a, a greater yes, uh, brewing history as well with uh, Mellish and Neil. Yep, and that's... Uh, it's, 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 a, it's almost a greater brewing... Uh, history than we have ourselves to be honest because they were huge in in the start of the 19th century a massive brewery actually there's a morris where morrison supermarket is in the town now it used to be the that whole site used to be the brewery is in the center of the town mm. um and that obviously is is gone and moved on as these things tend to do um but it's not something that's forgotten i suppose you still see it in in landmarks throughout the town and then when it came to, when was it now? It was November last year. We decided to make something new, um, started kind of digging around and discovered these old recipes from Mellish and Neil for, for their beers called Dinner Ale. And they were meant to actually, traditionally, they were meant to be low ABV beers that kind of complemented their food, hence the name. Um, and they made one called Dinner Ale number one and two, and then we decided to kind of pick up where they left off, essentially. Okay. Because um, we had these recipes, we had an idea of what they were like. We altered them a little bit to make it our own. Uh, and then we brought out dinner round number three, just as we were kind of starting to go into the end of uh, the start of lockdown number three. Um, and that was it, was, a, it was a great success, to be honest. But it was 6%, kind of like an ESB, nice and sweet, uh, meant to kind of complement your darker, darker meats, richer right. red meat, <clears throat> yeah. stews and roast dinners and stuff like that. Stuff you're having in the winter, essentially. Nice. Um, and we, we used a lot of uh, older, older style of malt, less modified malts as well, to try and get as true a flavour as we could, I suppose, to the to the original recipes. And now we've we're continuing that forward. We've Dinner hour number four, which is yet to come out, and then dinner hour number five, which we've got in front of us here as well. Um, and it's quite fun to be able to, to use that. I mean, even the labels themselves, not that people can see right now, but the labels themselves are actually slightly modified yeah. versions of the original labels that we've taken. Absolutely. So um, it looks old-fashioned, doesn't it? it yeah, like well, it's, 
the, to be honest, the only thing that's changed is we've replaced the picture of the Mellish and Neil thing with a star and, and right. changed the, the Mellish and Neil to Pilgrim Brewery. And, um, and it's quite nice to be able to relate back to that. Yeah, um, excellent. So that a heritage of, that's here yeah, in, and I think in town. It's important to, no matter what we're doing looking forward with stuff, it's, we still have plenty of customers and still plenty of demand for traditional styles. Uh, our, our best selling is still our best bitter, and yeah. I think it probably always will be because as much as people move away from cast beer, they move away from dark beers, especially now, um, they're still nice to come back to. It's like an old friend sometimes, isn't it? When, you, yeah. when you've gone and you've had pint after pint of hazy IPA, sometimes all you want is a nice best bitter or a, or a stout. Yeah, yeah. To really, uh, you know, settle you down again. Ah, no, you're quite right. Uh, shall we have a try of the dinner ale? Oh, absolutely. Give yes. it a go. I'm, I'm quite intrigued. To, so, uh, yeah, well, this has only come out in bottle today. Wow. So we're okay. fresh off the packaging line this morning, I'm pretty sure. Let's see how well I haven't even tried this yet out of bottle, so this is the uh, first time on the, on the air. So, yeah, essentially the, the first dinner ale that we made, number three, um, was 6, 6%, nice and strong, nice and dark. Just what you want. However, this is brought, being brought out in the summer, so we've tried to make it as pale as possible. It is 6% because we're trying to almost make that relation like you would a wine to food. Mm. Trying, to, trying to elevate the beer a little bit more, just beyond a, a, a thing that you drink in the pub in pints. It's, yeah. it's trying to be something slightly more sophisticated, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, and what we've tried to do is keep it as pale as possible whilst being 6%, so using Munton's extra pale malt, um, because obviously when you're loading up all the sugars to try and get up to 6%, you, you, you intrinsically bring through colour. Um, and we wanted to keep it nice and light, light on the, on the, on the mouth as well. Um, the other thing we've done is to try and keep it as clean as possible, is we left plenty of time when we're bringing it down on, on chill after it's it fermented out uh, to, to give it a diastole rest so that we're not um, bringing any of those off flavours through to keep the, the, the actual alcohol flavour really clean and crisp. And then finally, I suppose, the, the key thing with it is that it's creating a kind of crisp, almost uh, fresh grape flavour there. And there's a crisp bitterness too which is to, to also emulate the similar kind of thing you'd have with a, a crisp, fresh white wine. Mm. Um, so if you're having this alongside kind of white meat or fish or something, it's meant to, to complement each other, really. Sure. Mm. It's very, very biscuity, very nice, yeah, and it's, malt biscuity. I mean, that's, um, that's a flavour, when I say Pilgrim are a malt-forward malt brewery, mm. you know, it's a flavour we constantly want to keep through all of our beers that we make because... I feel like when that's there, that's when you, you know there's body there too. And personally, I can't really drink a beer without body. I think mm. it's so so important yeah. to, to the experience of having it. Sure, definitely. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's from drinking it now, first time out of bottle for me, but <laughs> it has that multi-body, but it cleans out quite quickly. It does, yeah. Um, that's mm. also within the carbonation, though. Uh, this kind of beer for us, I don't think would have worked in a cast as much as I can rave about casks all day. Um, I like having the, I like using carbonation to, to create a finish on the palate 
because it actually does have quite a big effect. Yeah. And obviously this has been artificially carbonated and that in itself gives a completely different kind of fresh finish to, towards uh, a cask beer that you might drink um, slightly heavier, can slightly kind of last a bit longer and tends to coat your mouth a bit more. Mm. Whereas this will just dissipate and hopefully... You know, as I'm drinking it now, it does leave a fresh finish, and I hope you yeah, feel no, the same. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's those kind of um, uh, finish in, in a beer that sort of invites so you know, just it's another, the second, another the second sip, taste, another sip, so much. It's yeah. key, I think, to be honest. As much mm. as I really like drinking wacky, wild things, sometimes um, yeah. our bread and butter is have have a good few. Mm. <laughs> so let's talk about those wacky, wild things because, yeah. um, as you said, obviously you. Brew a lot of classic uh, styles, and um, you know, obviously these these uh, ones we've got in, in front of us here. But you know, things like sours, which I know that uh, before we started recording, you, you were having a sour and saying how much you love sours. But things like sours, dippers, tippers, um, you know, stouts with the junks. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be the kind of beer that that Pilgrim brews. No, and I think a lot of it comes comes back from what we like to drink, I suppose. As much as I've, I mean, the sour is slightly different because I would love to make one. However, our, our scale and the way actually our brewery layout is, it makes us a little bit, a little bit trickier because of the risk of contamination. Not to say that we can't do it, or that we might not make a, a goze or a sour. It's we just need to work out the kind of the way around it, and also having a market for it, which is yeah, is, it's, it's it's different to speak of it from my brewer side of my brain or my kind of delivery salesman sort of actually serving barman side of the brain because they're yeah. two different things and they often quite conflict. So I'm like, you know, on the brewer side, I'd love to make a, a sour or goes. However, if we're getting some resistance to a, a, a hazy IPA in the local area, it's, it can be quite hard to really market depending on the customer and depending on, yeah. on your entire business model. But with us, it's, very difficult to market that to a to a traditional country pub. They're not going to really buy that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we're in Reigate. We're in the in the kind of yeah. It's a small town. It's getting but there. There's a, yeah, there's a lot not of traditional uh, drinkers. I should imagine um, in the there area, are still. So, and and yeah. to be honest, the the new stuff is being driven by the new people that are living in the area. There's a lot of people in where we are now that have come out of London, come out of places like Camden and Hackney and things, and they yeah. they still want a little taste of that. Excitement, so that's where we we develop something a little bit new, a little bit trendy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but with with going back to what you said with deepers and teepers and job double dry hops, whatever you like, and it's sometimes I think, from my personal opinion, is that buzzwords can kind of do too much talking, uh, and sometimes it's it's better to leave it as water, malt, hops and yeast because you can do a lot with those four ingredients. I don't think it's yeah. sometimes as necessary to to go crazy off the scale when people people go too far, especially as I follow a lot of accounts <laughs> in America and it becomes a becomes a point of are you trying to make a beer here or are you trying to, to hide the fact that you're making a beer? Yeah. Almost? Yeah. Um so it's I never want to say never. And I and I don't have enough. I'd, I'd still really love to do stuff with purees um, and those sort of kind of more. 
I'd say more traditional adjunct stuff, mm. um, even things like honey and stuff like that as well, because okay. you can, un- in my mind, I can kind of see how that relate- relates. You're, you're looking there for, for flavor, and then there's other things that go with that, whereas pastry stouts and things, I'm not so sure. I don't sure. know. Maybe yeah. not, not for me, I suppose. Mm. But it's also led by our head brewer, um, John, he's come from Cottage Brewery down in Somerset, traditional cask-led brewery. Yeah. So that's where his brain has always been at. That's where he learned his, his craft. Um, and so he finds it, we, we both find, find it quite hard to, to really wrap our heads around some of the things you see out on the shelves sometimes, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. But not to say that those are bad. I think the nice thing about beer is that it's completely subjective. Yeah. And that's why... We can make eight, you know, 18, 20 different beers in a year, and there's a, a fridge full and two other breweries here. We're all making different stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of it, really, is to, to be able to do that. And there's a, there's a market out there for it somewhere. you just got to know which market you're actually looking for, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, of course, as I said, uh, we, we were chatting before we started recording, and you were having a sour, and you said you really like sours. Is that your favourite style of beer, would you say, or...? Something it's else. tricky. I must admit, I still go back to the best bitter, yeah. always, because it's something that I can have at any time of day, any time of year, I suppose, mm. is, where, is where it's at, within reason. Okay. Um, Your favourite best bitter? Well, I mean, other gonna, than, I'm, naturally, I'm, naturally, other than the one Pilgrim produces, of course. I don't know, it's, it's quite <laughs> tricky. I, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm quite a rubbish brewer because I don't actually drink a lot of beer, is the trouble. <laughs> It's, right, that's, it's that's, that's being edited out. It's one of those things when, where you... Um, I was 18 when I started in the industry three years ago. And I, as a fresh-faced 18-year-old that works in a brewery, and that you can effectively have infinite access to beer, yeah. it becomes... The novelty there is amazing. And, it's, <laughs> and you can't really restrain yourself. So I did do a lot of drinking... <laughs> Uh, for a good two-year period, and then lockdown came, and it kind of stopped me doing that, and right. I had to. So the novelty wears bit. off, is and it saying. wore off. And now, <laughs> and now I just, I still like drinking. Don't get me wrong, I like drinking beers, but I have to limit myself, mainly yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, who knows where we we'll go? Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. What we do is uh, something on the podcast that I ask the uh, previous guests to pose a question to the next guest. Uh, Oh, so now. You, you guys have now see the people that see Gus. Gus is in a situation where he's he's stressed. The others have a I'm chance. No, no, no. I, well, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the same question to all of you. Oh, okay, that's all right. Uh, so um, the others have got obviously the chance to to formulate their answers. So here is Beck from Electric Bear Brewery in Bath asking her question. I'm sure they'll have a laugh about that. What's your favourite cheese? Oh my god, that is difficult. That is difficult. <laughs> I tell you what, my favourite cheese is it's uh it's a local one to us. So I keep the local theme going and it's called Norby Blue and it's um okay. just a, the pongiest blue cheese that I, we can find <laughs> and I love it because it's almost it's it's amazing. We did a collaboration with them actually. It's amazing with us with our stout. Um, so that would probably be my favourite cheese because it really plays off with... It has to be in the winter. Yeah. It have to, has to be a cold November night, probably, sat there in the tap room, maybe a fire on or something. Yeah. And have a wedge of this cheese and a, on a cracker and a stout. 
Okay. Now I'm sat there. I'm happy. That's, so that's my heaven. Norbury Blue. This is called Norbury Blue. We actually okay. supply them with some beer as well, so not, not, to, um, not to be a plug to them or anything. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the, the, I think there's, a, there's a, um, a pattern emerging here because Beck's favourite uh, style of beer, of course, you're saying best bits are your favourite, but you really do like sours. Beck's favourite was sour, and her favourite cheeses were the kind of blue cheeses, the strongest cheeses. So I think there's a correlation yeah, there yeah. with those extreme flavours. Of, of the, the beer and, and the uh, cheese. It's where yeah. you can really get the interesting flavours, I think. I love, yeah. I love sours to have a really interesting flavour. I love the kind of the more full-on beers to have potentially a half of them or something where you get that, you get the flavour, but it's not got to the point of overpowering. Yeah. But when it comes to sitting down and drinking, I need something that can sustain me <laughs> throughout a whole evening. I suppose that's the way we roll. If we finish at four o'clock, we're not going home till 12. So <laughs> it's a long time period there to fill. <laughs> it absolutely is. Well, Gus, it's been fantastic chatting that's with you. It's my pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much for telling us all about uh, Pilgrim. Anytime. No worries. Thanks very yeah, much. I hope you enjoyed the beers. Absolutely did. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent chat with Gus, and I really enjoyed the beers. If you ever find yourself in the Rygate area, why not pop along to Pilgrim's Tap Room and enjoy some of their great beers? Of course, while you're in Rygate, you should also definitely drop in for a few beers at Hopstop too. Okay, so keeping with the local theme, next up was Morgan from Crumbs Brewery. Morgan has a great story to tell about how his brewery came about and why they started making the beers that they make. Right, okay, so now I am joined by Morgan uh, from Crumbs Brewery, also based in Rygate. Good evening. Good evening. Nice to see you, Paul. Yeah, nice to see you too. Thanks for coming along. Nice, thank you very much. And uh, before we start talking, we have actually cracked open the first of your beers, and it's the Rye Coffee Porter. We've gone big, you know. I know this is a favourite of yours. It is. And, uh, and also, so we thought we'd go, you know, you've had some beautiful beers some beautiful gentle beers now so we've, we've gone punchy at seven percent now um yeah but uh, yeah uh, as as with all our beers we make our beers out of unsold bread from our local bakery mm. so actually where we are today just ne- literally next door is where the baker's shop is so chalk hills bakery in rygate so we we take their leftovers and turn them into beer and that beer is made with leftover rye bread so unsold rye bread from the bakery shop mm-hmm. The interesting thing about the coffee porter is, as the name suggests, we also use coffee in it, um, and we use the leftover coffee grounds from the the shop. Um, Chris has got a couple of shops, and he's got sort of several coffee machines that churn out tons of, of spent coffee grounds every day. So we decided to take those and and throw those into the beer as well. So this was a bit of a labour of love, and it's it's probably of all our beers, it's it's the one yeah we kind of it, it took a lot of effort, and we're pleased with how it came out. Yeah, excellent. Well, Morgan, you know I love all of your beers, but this one, as you've said, is definitely my favourite. I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. Um, so tell me how it all started. How, how did you get the idea in the first place? Yeah, um, well, it goes back a while. So we, we set up in 2017. Um, I'd spent a lot of time working, actually, so I'm, I'm not a brewer, but I'd spent a lot of time working in, in the booze industry in various guises, mainly in spent a lot of time working for SAB Miller, actually, in, in innovation and, and helping them come up with ideas for new beer products. Um, got to the stage where I was a bit bored of corporate life and also kind of thought, well, why, why are we spending time thinking up ideas for other people? Let's do something ourselves. So I convinced my, my wife. So my wife and I set up the business back in 2017. And really, at the start, we, I knew we wanted to do something in beer, but we were looking for, for kind of loads of ideas, really. We could have, could have done anything. Um, 
and it was a, a chance sort of article I read. I think um, there's some guys over in in Belgium called the Brussels Beer Project mm. had started playing around with loads of funky ideas for beers, and they'd done a range of things. One of which was was brewing with bread, and I was like, oh, that's, that sounds like an interesting idea. Um, we were really good customers of Chalkhill, so we lived in Rygate already, and kind of thought, oh, you know, there's 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 something there to play with. Started developing that idea. Um, Around the time we were developing the idea, really annoyingly, uh, Toast, who uh, I don't know if you've, you've interviewed yet, but we, we get on really well with them. Um, a company called Toast, they, they do pretty much what we do as well. So they, they make beer out of leftover bread. But theirs has got to be toasted first, right? Uh, well, no, well, yeah, ironically, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've pulled them up on that a few times. Yeah, that uh, name is very misleading. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yours is better. Definitely. So they, uh, no, they, they came on the scene and we were like, oh, to be honest, shit, like, you know, someone else is doing this now. But, but yeah. it kind of actually forced us to rethink of what we're doing and, and actually. Where we came out was we were saying, look, you know, there, there's a real positive food waste story behind this. So actually, and, mm. and Toast, when we spoke to them, they were like, you know, to be fair, the more the merrier. They, they wanted to encourage as many breweries to start playing with this as possible. Yeah. Um, so there's a really positive food waste message. Uh, you know, 44% of, of bread made in the UK never gets eaten. So it's, it's the worst offender in terms of food waste. So we, we wanted to do something with that. We thought that's a, that's a, that's a great cause to help champion. Um, but, but the way we took it a little bit further was because we'd spoken to Chalk Hills and, and they're a small artisan baker that annoyingly have a couple of shops and have quite a big wholesale business. So actually, wastage they just can't avoid, even though they're quite a small baker, the, the amount of wastage they have is ridiculous. Yeah, so, I, was, I was going to say, that's quite odd, isn't it, really, that, um, that there is so much wastage. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's all about supply and demand with them. Uh, yeah. You know, their wholesale business sort of goes up and down, it's very hard for them to manage what, what orders are going to come in and come out. They, they have to, because a bakery actually for their size is pretty big, so they, they actually produce at reasonably fixed levels. So, so um, and, and the shop, again, you know, if you get a, a, rainy, a rainy day in Rygate on a, in the middle of the winter, mm. there's not much footfall, really, so they can, they can quite easily get left with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but because they put sort of so much love and so much effort into their, into their breads, yeah. we were kind of wanted to, to spin it so that... that the, the bread meant something. So actually our whole range of beers, and we have a very purposely a very small range of four beers, um, each beer is made with one style of loaf. And, and okay. what we were really keen to do from day one was to have the bread mean something. So, so you know, that you can taste the beer and hopefully there's, there's something in the style of the beer that reflects the style of the loaf that, that made it. Um, again, yeah. for those of you that don't know, uh, you know, the, the way we brew with breads is... Pretty much the process is the same. All you do is you replace about a quarter of the malt that you would normally stick in the mash with the breadcrumbs. Uh-huh. And again, we did a lot of work with um, with Camden BRI, who were a sort of food testing agency just down the road in the early days, because we sort of started it from a blank piece of paper. Um, and, and again, they did loads of mashing trials for us to sort of work out what the best proportion of bread was. How do you want? How's best to put the bread in? Do you just sort of rip it up and throw it in? Do you do you crumb it? Do you toast okay. it? Um, and as the name kind of suggests, the, the, the best you result we got was crumbing it. Just because, okay. again, bread is, I mean, it, it's never going to be as an efficient um, uh, sort of a deliverer of, of fermentability as malt is. But, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of, of starch in bread that, that breaks down to sugars. And again, if you crumb it before putting in the mash, it yeah. helps that process start to break the, 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 the starches down. Yeah. And you actually get a decent amount of, of, of sort of sugar out of it. So actually... The testing we did up to about twenty five percent. You can probably push it a bit further to about thirty percent. Getting up to those levels, you, you don't, you know, it, it holds its own in terms of contributing towards the, the fermentation. Beyond that, it actually starts to suppress some of the 
the, the good stuff that's going on with the malt. So, yeah. um, so it's you don't want to go beyond that kind of yeah. level. But but at the end of the day, you end up with a with a mash that has got a decent amount of bread in. So, a it's contributing towards the beer in terms of its fermentability. But b there's a shitload of bread there, so it's contributing to the flavour as well. You hope. I yeah. mean. The, the big challenge with us is, is you know, you've still got 75% malt, you've got hops, you've got, you know, yeast. Um, those also obviously have a massive impact on the beer. So for us, a lot of the work was around making sure that the, the choices we made with hops and malts and stuff, again, sort of complemented and enhanced what the bread was bringing rather than overpowered it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is uh, obviously just goes to show why I'm not a brewer. Uh, because I think this is a question I asked you uh, when we did the Rygate Beer Walk, uh, which we'll probably come on to a little bit later. Um, and that was because I'd, I was sort of trying to figure out the role of bread in the beer. And obviously, as you've very um, eloquently explained it there, it's, you know, it's... The, we'll go that far. It's, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, it's, it's sort of like, you know, an, an assistant to, you know, it's, it's part of the malt, part of the mash. Yeah, yeah. Um, I obviously know that you know that from what i do know that when in in baking terms that yeast is using bread and so i was kind of figure, figuring that it was something to do with the 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 yeast part of the beer was taking from the bread but that's not the case no at all, no is it? no no again i think a lot of people make that assumption yeah. um and again I'm not, I'm not an expert and the the other brewers in the room can pull me up on this but again um a the baker's kind of yeast has done its job by the time the loaf is made. So, yeah, we'll just take whole loaves that are left over and, and kind of crumb them. But the yeast has done its job in the bread. And, and again, as far as I'm aware, a, a baker's yeast is pretty much there to add sort of poof, for want of a better of a word, you know, to, 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 to kind of get the, the bread to rise. Yeah. And actually, most baker's yeast doesn't add a great deal of flavour. And it actually was something I learned as I started this business was actually the, the role that the yeast does play in beer. So, yeah. Um, Yeast in beer not only adds adds the process of fermentation, but it also has the potential to add a lot of flavour. Yeah. Um, so, for example, actually, our very first beer, so our our blooming amber lager, which, as the name was suggests, is made with a with a bloomer loaf, so a kind of a white farmhouse loaf, pretty straightforward loaf, but but sort of very malty, very sweet, sort of you know got got some nice richness to it. Um, and because actually that beer was our first beer, and because to be honest, I had no idea what we were going to do with this business. We, we sort of made some beers, but didn't really think through who we were going to sell them to. So mm. I kind of thought this was going to be maybe our first and maybe our last beer. Um, so we, we started with this idea of, with that one, making an amber lager or a, a Vienna lager. It's, it's, it's a, yeah. a style of beer that I quite like. Um, it's also a style of beer that I quite like because it sort of sits in that, that grey area between an ale and a lager. Um, so that we thought, well, if this is the only beer we're going to make, let's make something that hopefully appeals to both sides of the, the ale lager drinking debate. Yeah, definitely. Um, and when we were developing that, um, so we, 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 we brew our beers with Goddard's Brewery on the Isle of Wight. So we, you know, we, I, I twisted their arm. I used to live on the Isle of Wight and I, I knew the guy that runs it. And a lot of other brewers had, had told us to do one when we, when we approached them to, to <laughs> brew with them because they didn't really? like the idea of us throwing bread into their mash. Um, <laughs> so I twisted their arm. But yeah, they, they helped develop this recipe. And actually the first versions of that recipe we used the yeast which um i can't remember the name of it now but it was it was it was sort of very kind of belgium i would say in style and, mm. and as a result the the resulting beer was very kind of belgium in style it had sort of you know almost those qualities of left or, or or whatever and and the problem was that really overpowered anything that the bread was 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 bringing kind of thing so we we ended up changing the yeast and just using a yeast that was 
that was far more subtle, and it allows it allows that that maltiness from the bread to come and come through. And, and yeah. The, the, yeah, the result was great. It's sort of it's an interesting beer because it's still got sort of it's it's refreshing and it's and it's lager like, but it's got a bit of depth to it. Um, yeah. the, and, a, and, a, and a really nice malty finish, which again comes from the the bread that we throw in there. Okay. Shall we crack that one open and yeah, give it a try? Yeah, 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 Absolutely. Let's give it a try. I mean, it's nice talking about the first uh, beer that you brewed, uh, but it's probably even nicer having a taste of it. Yeah, so. <laughs> Let's, uh, have, a have we got any more glasses? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll give you a ton of washing up for the end of the day. Right, okay. So... The Blooming Amber Lager. So this was the first one. First, yeah, first beer. So that was back in 2017. Yeah. So, 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 yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's it's um, it's an interesting one. And like I said, you know, you mm. were talking to Gus a bit about beer styles, and 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 one of the things that that drove us, or and still drives us, in terms of the beer styles we choose, is a each of them kind of has to have a meaning in terms of you know there needs to be an intrinsic link between the bread. The, the, the you know the novel ingredient that you're using and the style of the beer, yeah. but also I kind of wanted our range to all be quite different. And, and again, at the moment, they they all are. So you know this this was an interesting one to start with that, that sat in a sort of quite a, a novel space. And then we've got we've got a very light pale ale we make with sourdough bread, and then a couple of darker beers. You know, so the, the rye coffee porter and a rye ruby that we make with rye bread. So at yeah. the moment, they're 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 all quite nicely distinct and kind of have their own roles to play in there. Sure. I mean, you're absolutely right. This one, you really can taste the. It's so malty, as you say. It's the malt, but it's the bread doing doing a lot of the work in the flavour. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And it's um, like I say, it's it's, it's my my thinking was it was it, I ended up making a beer that I liked, and and then kind of I thought if it doesn't yeah, work, at least I've I've got thirty hectolitres to get through in, yeah. in a couple of years. That's fine. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Don't don't start on something you don't like just in case. But <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. But it did work out, which is good. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so now you're available. Yeah, in... yeah. Like I said, we, we, I mean, the, the first couple of years of the business, we, we very much sort of wanted to drive it ourselves. So we were out, we hit the road. We, you know, the first, the first year we pretty much went to the, the baker goes to a lot of markets and festivals and we just rocked up next to him and, and, and got it out there and got people tasting it and got feedback and, and from that, we we did a lot of effort on in the local area. You know, I've, I've done a lot of events with the guys at, at, at Pilgrims, and, and we kind of support each other, um, and, and and drove it that way. Um, yeah, the great thing then has been sort of in the last, I suppose, year and a half. Again, we we tried to think more sort of nationally about the brands. So yeah, back end of last year was a bit of a saviour. We 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 have now got a couple of the beers into into Waitrose nationally. So for those listening further afield, they can they can pick us up in Waitrose and. And then we have got a couple of gift packs in in um, in John Lewis as well, so which is nice. And again, it's it's a massive learning curve for us working like that, but also it's it's just really nice to be able to get 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 kind of the beers beers out there and get a lot more feedback and and yeah, yeah hopefully hopefully build from that definitely. Certainly, absolutely. So, in terms of the styles that you're doing and and what goes in because it sounds to me that you're saying that what drives the style is the is the bread that's available. Can, can we expect to see other styles coming forward? Maybe, I don't know, and I don't know why, I don't know what the criteria is as to what you use, but if it's not just leftover bread, is it maybe pastries, croissants? Yeah, like we, we, we did, we, we, we very nearly ended up with a pan of chocolat porter, but then oh. it was, it was, uh, it oh, was, 
Yeah, no, it might still no, be no, a thing. Don't, don't break my heart. Well, the problem, the problem, there's, Nearly there's, is not what I want to hear on that. <laughs> no, one. no, sorry. I want to hear there we're is doing a, one next there week. There is a scale problem. <laughs> Again, I think when, when we eventually, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely not as lucky as, as Pilgrim having a, having a presence. You know, we'd, we'd love to have a presence somewhere soon and, you know, open up a, a little tap room or a little... A, a space that at least has a bit of test kit that we can play around with funky stuff. Yeah. The, the problem at the moment is, yeah. Again, we 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 brew at a, a sort of a, a not not a massive scale, still still microscopic, but um, you, you actually do need a reasonable amount of bread, and and again, we need a reasonable amount of pastry. And pastries, unlike bread, don't go that that that. Um, you know, people get their hands on those at the end of the day and right. amongst the baking so stuff. Not, so they're not quite so wasted. Yeah, we, we, we were struggling with we were struggling with wasting, but we've yeah we've we've. Uh, We've definitely got one idea. We've we've been we've been playing for a long time with the idea of using uh, uh, different types of breads beyond chalk hills. Uh, the latest of which we can give you a bit of an exclusive. I well, we've been mentioning it for a while, but we're, we're actually now on the on the verge of making it. That we finally found a, a, a we've been looking for a naan bread for a long time oh. to make a a naan bread lager. Um, wow! To uh, you know, which is again what's missing in our range really is a is a sort of very light. Sort of traditionally lager, lager kind of thing, not the not the sort of the more slightly more complex amber. Yeah. So um. So yeah, we we we've been looking for it and talking about it probably for about a, a good year and a half. I think. Um. The problem was there's not many places that have leftover naan bread. Most restaurants will make it to order. Yeah. Um. Uh. So it so it's not the kind of thing that gets wasted. But we've we've actually found a a, a manufacturer that that manufactures on a reasonably large scale, and they. They have um, wonky nans that, that don't make the grade. Um, <laughs> no way. And, and again, we, it was a struggle for us because again, we want we want the nans that we use to be, you know, with, with all the will in the world. We didn't want to necessarily go to a, a massive nan producer and get, yeah. you know, pass out. Let's be more artisan. Yeah, we, want, we, like, we still want yeah. that artisanal kind of element to it. And again, yeah, that this this producer makes a range of kind of handmade nans, and and the ones that the ones that don't make the grades, uh, we're going to end up taking. So that'll, oh, that'll be the next one in the, uh, in the, in the portfolio. Right. Um, so, like I say, uh, if, I, if, if I'm still talking about it a year time, feel free to shoot. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm fingers crossed it'll be there. So a non-lager? <laughs> yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, wow, that sounds fantastic. In all good curry houses near you, very yeah. simply. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, well, I mean, it would, it would go absolutely perfectly with a curry, wouldn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Let's yeah. face it. I think you know, as you're saying about trying to you know get round to, uh, to 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 suppliers, uh, going to all the curry houses are around, not just around Surrey, but yeah, well, yeah. All, all over yeah, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sell them a naan lager. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to uh, to trying that one. Absolutely. Uh, right. So um, you mentioned that it was uh, that your beer is brewed at Goddard's uh, yeah. on the Isle of Wight, um, and ha- that partnership is because you you, you have some. Uh, some yeah. clout back in pure, well over, yeah over you know, I'm, I'm a big thing on the other way no yeah. no, no I, uh, I, um, I just purely bribe someone I think well actually ironically we <laughs> so I having, having worked like I said in with some some, uh, some of the some brewing sort of big brewers in the past I had a few connections with the likes of the you know evil empires like Diageo and I'd, I'd asked some of those guys to sort of put me in touch with somebody that could kind of guide us on how we go about this um, they'd originally given us the name of a guy called Tim O'Rourke, who I don't know if you ever met. Um, I think actually one of the one of the right. guys that was early involved in Seba. I think Gus, you mentioned sort of obviously Dave being involved in Seba in the early days, and he was definitely involved in that. Sort of a, a guy that's done been there and done it in in, in brewery and in brewing in in quite a number of ways. They put us in contact with him with a view that he would probably then put us in contact with somebody else. But actually, he was so intrigued by the idea, he was like, oh. 
I'd love to, to help you do this. Um, and ironically, he had links back to the Isle of Wight as well. So his family oh, okay. used to be part of Burt's Brewery, which is an old brewery that I, you know, I can vaguely remember when I was a kid down in Ventnor on the Isle of Wight. Mm. So he had links there. I knew people there. Um, he had a bit of test kit that we that we had. He actually had stored at Goddard's Brewery. So that's kind of what opened the door originally. And then we we played around with some less than successful brews early days, but, but sort of got our, got our act together. And again, Goddard's mm. were then Zav, who, who at the time ran Goddard's, um, was so intrigued that he was like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do this for you. Um, the other big sell, uh, because, you know, you say it to people and you're like, why on earth are you brewing on the Isle of Wight? That's, you know, for, for a business that kind of has, has sort of a bit of a purpose and ethics at the back of your mind, it seems, sounds like you're shifting beer around all over the place quite a lot. Um, and actually one of the massive sales was they're a, they're a reasonably small brewery. So, we, yeah, their kit's sort of 30 hectolitres. So, again, not massive by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But they just invested in a brand spanking new bottling line, which was massively at the time over specs for, I think, what they needed. Um, and so they were very welcome to have us on board because we knew early days, doors, that we were going to put most of our beers into small pack. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we kind of stepped in and actually gave them a, a, a really good sort of source of volume going through their bright, new, shiny bottling line. Fantastic. So it, it works really well. And, it, and it, you know, we're, we're really, really appreciative of, of all the support they've given us sort of yeah. setting up um, and it's nice because we can kind of go down there, brew, bottle, and, and, and do the whole shebang in one place. Yeah. And you were telling me earlier before we started recording that you actually did uh, start to, you know, it, it's a bit different to a lot of other breweries that uh, have been mainly cask and keg and then have gone into a greater, you know, obviously everybody is in small pack, but a greater um, proportion of small pack due to the pandemic. Uh, you're the other way around. You, you've gone into, you went into uh, keg yeah, yeah. Um, but uh... no, exactly. I mean, I think I love cast. Don't get me wrong, and I and I, I love drinking cast beer, and I, and I understand and, and and really appreciate decent cast. But again, my eyes were open to what a bugger it was to manage from a brewery point of view. So so a, a we went mainly into small pack to start with because we were just sort of, again testing the concept and testing where we got it. Um, and even once we started exploring the on trade a bit more. Certainly our amber lager and our sourdough, we, we, we put straight into key keg from day one just because, again, it was easier to manage, um, you know, yeah. lighter to move around. And, and again, for a, for a brewery that doesn't have, that doesn't have a, a ton of dray trucks and stuff, um, we, uh, we, we, we kind of felt that it was easy to do it that way. It, it, was, only, it was only in the, in the period where sort of lockdown happened and actually when, once lockdown was starting to open up again and sort of opportunities were, were, were opening up, a lot of pubs that, that kind of liked our beer were kind of saying, actually, we're finding it really hard to get our hands on cast kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we'd, we'd, we'd then actually, certainly the Rye Ruby, we, we'd actually did quite a big run of, of cask just to sort of test that out and give it a go. And, and again, as a, as a bit of getting our foot back in the door with, with some, of the, some of our on-trade customers. Um, and then sure enough, lockdown number three or five or whatever it was comes along again. Oh, yeah. And again, it, 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 lockdowns. <laughs> it reinforced to me why, why yeah, cask is, 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 you know, is lovely, but it's a bugger of a business to be involved in kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, again, as much as, as much as it pains me to say, I don't think that's ever going to be a core part of our business. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, you know, naturally we're looking uh, on the table at uh, your favorite beers. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> aside, aside from those, what, what do you look at when you, when you come in, let's say when you, you, you arrive at Hopstop for a, a nice deserved yeah, pint, well, what, are you, what are you looking for on the I, screen? I kind of generally, whenever I, I actually always sort of say my, my favourite beer is often my next beer. So I'm, I'm very, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the kind of reason I did this and the kind of reason I love doing this is, is actually, yeah. that's what I love about 
brewing is is just that myriad of styles out there and 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 I just yeah I really get off on on trying new stuff kind of thing I you know I was I was a keen subscriber to you know beer bods and beer 52 and all those kind of ones in the past just because I loved being you know getting hold of stuff that I never knew so so as a result it's it's weird I'd I, I tend to never gravitate back to one. I think I've never been a massive fan. I think, a bit like I said, I've never been a massive fan of, of beers that hit you over the head with hops and, and right, you know, knock your socks off, and you know, you're into the the eight, nine, ten percent regions kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think probably most recently, a bit like most of the planet, I, I kind of slightly have a soft spot for. I think the sort of the New England IPA type styles and and you know uh, that that kind of style that sort of I think just does some really interesting stuff with those floral and kind of fruity notes um they, you know I, the first one that i really had soft salt for was actually there was a buxton did a did a really nice new england ipa which i'm oh, not sure right. it stood around actually but I, I can remember getting a few of those through beer boards or somewhere and and yeah slightly fell in love with it for for a few months it was a, it was a really good beer but that, i think those i really respect those kind of beers that get those delicate flavors without kind of overdoing it you know sometimes those kind of style of beers can can tip too much into the we've chucked a lot of tropical flavours into this and it just feels a little bit sort of false. It's yeah. those ones that can really balance those delicate kind of tropical citrusy fruity flavours that, that I think is a really brilliant. Okay, excellent. And what's your favourite cheese? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> shit, I forgot. <laughs> no, I've had, uh, no, so I would say favourite cheese... I wanted to spring that one. Yes, yeah, so favourite cheese <laughs> is... Uh, um, I think it's called. I never know how to pronounce it. I'm probably going to show it. It's a, is it a Chacorse or there, there's a there's a I think it's a French cheese that uh, I know you can you can buy in our local Morrison's in the thing. But it's it's nice because I, I quite like a brie those kind of things. But this one it's it starts out when it's in the fridge like a brie, but then when you leave it out at room temperature, it starts to kind of melt and go really kind of gloopy and oh, right. and sort of sticky kind of thing. And it's and it, I, I just love it because you can almost it's kind of like two cheeses in one at the start start of the evening. It's it's nice and firm, and, and, and then yeah. it gets sticky and gooey and even more flavoursome kind of thing. So, I th- yeah, I think it's called okay. Chacorse. So, uh, fantastic. Brilliant. Nice, nice answer. Excellent. Well, Morgan, uh, it's been fantastic talking to you and really interesting to, to learn about um, the process that you've, uh, that you've gone through to create these uh, amazing beers. No worries. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. What a great story, and it's fantastic to see people being creative with food waste to make such an excellent product. As mentioned by Morgan there, a couple of them are available in Waitrose stores nationwide, but you'll also find them in other local shops if you're from the area, including the Chalk Hills Bakery, which provides the bread uh, situated right next door to Hopstop. I made a reference during my chat with Morgan to the Rygate Beer Walk and said we'd come back onto that, but we didn't do that in the end. For those of you who don't know about it, it's a great way to spend an afternoon, starting at the Hopstop Bar for a few tasters of Crumbs beers, while Morgan gives a short talk about their mission. You then head off with a local guide who takes you through the older brewing history of the town, including Mellish and Neil which we mentioned when talking with Gus earlier, and you finish at the other end of town at the Pilgrim site. You have a tour of the brewery, some more tasters, and another talk about brewing, and then you're free to stay and have some more beers. Naturally, this hasn't been happening during the pandemic, so I wanted to see if Morgan, who runs it, was thinking of starting it up again. We had a little chat after recording, and he told me that he doesn't currently have plans, but it's possible in the future. I really hope so, as I thoroughly enjoyed it when I went a couple of years back. Okay, so now let's get on to our third brewery guest, Ben from 360 Degree Brewing. 
Okay, so uh, now I'm joined by Ben from 360 Degree Brewing Company. Hello. Hello, thanks for coming down. You're very welcome. And uh, you've had a bit further to travel than the rest of these guys, haven't you? I have, yeah. So um, unlike the other chaps in the room, I am not based in Rygate, so neither is the brewery. Uh, 360 is based in the middle of the East Sussex countryside. So if anyone knows their rural locations, Sheffield Park Gardens and the Blue Bell Railway are right next door to us. So yeah, it's a lovely little road, uh, yeah, rural spot, but it took about an hour or so to get here. Well, thanks for coming uh, all that all that way. Oh, I wouldn't miss it for you, man. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, tell me a little bit about the brewery, about the uh, the backstory. What, how did it get started? Sure. So, uh, three sixty has been around, which surprises some people now, uh, for about eight years. Um, it was set up by two chaps called John and Mark, uh, and so from what I gather from the story was just sort of hit middle age, had a bit of surplus money, and fancied <laughs> putting together a brewery, which is often often a pipe dream for a lot of us. Yeah, um, and so they managed to make it work. Um, and yeah, after from what I gather from a, a fair sort of universal uh, sort of review, the best sort of the first one or two were not too good in okay. terms of the brews, but then that's all part of the learning curve. Yeah, as, sure. we, as we all know. Yeah, so. Yeah, like eventually got themselves to a position where they were making some some pretty decent beers. Um, but it always very much been sort of very much like a community, local based brewery. There was a lot of emphasis put on like the the membership community and doing events for like for that sort of like small sect of Sussex. Had a few sort of locations in London and Brighton and here and there, but hadn't really sort of grown much more than being very sort of true to its roots in that regards. Right. Um, and then ultimately, I think it was John uh, ended up uh, just sort of. It wasn't quite for him so much anymore after so many years. And then once John had left, it started to be down, uh, yeah, a bit of a, re- of a re- regression. COVID comes around, the company's in the red, and it was all set to actually wind up uh, oh, just because the finances just were just not there. Yeah, And then it just proved an, like, an opportunity for the new guys who own us now to come in uh, and invest, but with a desire to build on the legacy of 360 yeah. And just take it as far and wide as we can possibly take it. Um, and so, yeah, that's part of the challenge for us. So we've wow. been a new company, essentially, for just over a year now. Yeah. Um, and have taken 360 from what was fundamentally just sort of car scales mm-hmm. into sort of all package forms, cask, keg, cans. So then we can attack as much of the market as possible uh, and just try and get our beers out to as many people as we can. Okay, fantastic. And different styles of beers as well than what were previously being brewed at uh, Oh, yeah, fun, yeah, massively. Um, I mean, like, like when, I, when I say cask, obviously the, the connotations of cask are yep. bright beer, you've got your bitters, your various pails, but fundamentally yeah. they're usually transparent beers. Sure. Whereas for us, the emphasis has been very much to, not just to place in the market, but because we, we all ourselves love our hazy beers. So the New England styles have become the prominent element of, of where our beers are. When we're doing specials, we're looking to make at least every other beer a New England style of whatever ABV it may be. Um, and so, yeah, for us, it's been really, really fun and a real fun challenge to make sure that we respect that legacy of making cast beer and making it really, really well, uh, whilst also dipping our toes far more into the, like, almost a new way of brewing. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have that, like, don't often realise that to brew in a cask ale traditional method in terms of the process from A to Z is very, very different to the process of making beer from a New England style. I mean, like, I'm not on the production side myself, I'm in sales, but still just for me as a beer enthusiast, it's really, really interesting to sort of get those 
bits of information and like learn sort of like off off of my colleagues in terms of just how different a process it is mm. so yeah it's been yeah really really interesting to sort of see 360 um just yeah continue to grow yeah. and try our hand at whatever style suits our suits our desire at whatever Excellent. given moment and it sounds like a, you know certainly a revitalization a kind of phoenix from the flames kind of uh scenario it's, yeah i mean it's that's a good analogy for it and it's it's an interesting one for us in terms of then the challenges it presents because like I'm one of two two of us fundamentally in the sales department. My colleague Sam is based mainly in London, and so for him, he's got the entity of like an unknown. So he's going into that market with a completely fresh brand, fresh image. Yeah. Just try the beers, see what you think of it. Whereas down in like Sussex, Surrey, Kent, a lot of the challenge which I'm sort of like more sort of like in the for- in the forefront of is almost a sort of like change minds. Often, a lot of the cases, I'm sure people know that from the industry, is when you have a change of ownership in a brewery, there is a lot yeah. of skepticism in terms of, oh, well, what does this mean for what the previous version of it was? Where's yeah. it going to go? Are these guys going to be able to like crack it? And so, yeah, like sort of month by month, beer by bit by beer, we've just been progressively just showing, yep, yeah, we're like we we feel confident in what we're doing, yeah. um, and ultimately, like the market speaks, and yeah, our beers are proving a commercial success now. So it's yeah, wonderful, really. It's, it's been a, a really exciting challenge to sort of have yeah. it being a, a double prong like that. So yeah, just depending on where we are to sort of see how we're received and how we can then yeah just convince people to give our beers a go. Absolutely. And I mean, to me, I've spoken to a few breweries that have started up during the pandemic. Um, Amity up in Leeds is is one, for example. And I guess it's ones that that they already had the plans in place. They were already going to be doing that. And then the pandemic hit and they thought, well, let's stick with it. Let's accelerate. Um, But your story of of 360 is, is, is kind of similar, but also a little different in so much as it's not just starting up a new brewery. It's totally rebranding and totally trying to uh, change people's perception because I, I would imagine that if the brewery was winding down that there wasn't necessarily a big market for it uh, you know previously uh, obviously otherwise it, it wouldn't have been in a position to be winding down so changing people's perception um, has got to probably be harder than actually uh, interesting people in a brand new brewery in the first place no you're, you're totally right and it's like I said it's been a, it's been definitely a challenge uh, but it's one that we've all embraced like me particularly being the one who's doing a lot of that day-to-day in terms of the conversations with stockists yeah and ultimately it's just down to the beers like we can we can only sort of say so much and the same with any with any sales job uh, in the drinks industry you can sort of talk the talk and walk the walk but ultimately if the product doesn't stand true you're going to undermine yourself in the process. So, like, I'm really thankful to like, my, my colleagues on the production side that they've been, like, producing some wicked, wicked quality beers, yeah. which have just built one after the next in terms of consistency to show that we've got the quality there now. Mm. Um, and also what you're saying in terms of, like, a rebrand. Yeah. That was, like, really important for us to sort of just give ourselves, like, a fresh look to things. Uh, yeah. And it's steered the direction of where we've evolved the brewery as a whole now. Yeah. Um, so the name 360, which kind of gives a good sort of, like, sort of tie-in to what I'm saying... Uh, the name for the brewery 360 comes from our location. So where we are in East Sussex, right next door to Bluebell, right next door to the Sheffield Park Gardens, is pretty much bang on the Greenwich Meridian line. Okay. So when you think about it in terms of like compass degrees, it's either zero or 360. Yeah, it's a great story, uh, and it and it linked in a lot in terms of the earlier branding, because uh, when it would say rather than saying like brewed in this town or brewed in Sussex, like our pump clips etc. would say brewed at the coordinates. Which, right. was, which was like an interesting little yeah. gimmick thing, but for us, we wanted to give it a fresh, a fresh emphasis and take it into a new direction for ourselves, while still paying respect to the legacy we, we'd taken off. Like I sure. said, 
So, yeah, so instead we've steered ourselves into thinking of ourselves almost as like the brewery of time and place. Uh, And so all of our beers, in terms of their name and their branding, uh, are something to do with us in Sussex or something to do with where the beer styles are from. And so case in point with with Sussex, we've rebranded our Bluebell, our best bitter, Bluebell, to just pay homage to the legacy of the Sussex best bitter as a beer style, the legacy of the train line that sits next door to us. And so that one worked really well to sort of stamp us out as a Sussex brewery. Mm. Uh, Our Session IPA can has got a pocket watch on it, so you've got that whole time link there as well yeah. um, and then when we go on to the uh, the beers that we'll be tasting I can sort of talk you a bit more in terms of how that links into that sure. whole uh, re-imaging and rebranding and that story of us being uh, everything associated to time and place like I was saying yeah okay well let's crack open the beer shall we yeah for sure what should we start with well I'm going to start us off with our core range west coast pale uh, so it's called fastback so I'm going to have a little look at that one okay there. lovely yeah. so I do like a west coast yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a style that is very, very uh, much up there for me. Um, I was very lucky to spend a couple of years living in British Columbia, in Canada. Oh, lucky you. I've got family there. Oh, fantastic. Whereabouts? Uh, just outside Vancouver, Pitt Meadows. Nice, nice. So I, was, I was up in Whistler in the ski nice. town. Oh, nice. And so we were lucky sort of between where we were and the localism there. And the beer that was coming up the West Coast for me to try so many fantastic styles. Mm. Uh, I worked in a brew pub when I was in town as well. So, yeah. again, had beer on tap and it seems to be like a running theme in my career <laughs> now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so like the Fastback, it's a 5.2. It's uh, loaded with sea hops. So it's got uh, Cascade, Chinook, uh, Centennial and a little bit of Citra. Mm. Um, so yeah, what are you thinking I, about it yourself? I've, yeah, I, I, that is lovely. I really, I, I love Centennial. I, I've said this before on the podcast that you know Centennial is quite often used amongst other hops, bit of bittering hop. But I've tasted a few single hop Centennial beers, and it does a lot of good work on its own. And I think you know a lot of people tend to just use it in the mix along with some others, but on its own, for me, it's nice. It's Gently bitter, it's pillowy, it's soft, and it's just... And the Colonel do a great one as well. Yes, I, think about, course, I know, I know I mean, the one you mean. I mean the, the Colonel do great beers all over the place. But I had, I had one here um, in Hopstop uh, on draft in between lockdowns. I'm just trying to think it was probably September, October kind of time. And perhaps it was partly because we'd been deprived of all these kind of going out and actually having beer in from draft rather than from cans and bottles, but it was just exceptional. Um, so I'm a big fan. But, yeah, let's uh, delve into this one. Yeah, so you get all your quintessential tasting notes from it. You've got the nice pininess both on the nose and on the tongue. Mm. Um, and then like, I'd certainly get a lot more of the sort of like the orangey citrus flavours complemented by an element of the forest fruit black currentiness that you would, again, expect on the West Coast. Yeah. So, again, like it... For us, we're really, really keen to be as true to style as possible, um, apart from when we're going into the weird and wacky. So for us, we actually made a very recent hop change to this. This was previously just Centennial, Mosaic and Citra. And we just figured, hey, let's, let's give it more let's give it more sea hops and really, really bring out those quintessential tasting notes, like I mentioned, in terms of the West Coast. Mm. Um, and yeah, for me, I really like it because it's got a nice bit of balance. It's rich, it's smooth, it's, bit, it's bitter, it's balanced, and it's, it ticks so many boxes in terms of what you would want from like a really nice sessionable drink. Mm. Absolutely. What's the ABV on that one? 
So it's 5.2, so obviously the worst sessionable is debatable within that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd give you that. Just I think, I think most people say under 5, but if you're just creeping over 5, how what the hell? That's it, that's yeah. it. It certainly doesn't seem to deter anyone. I mean, no. uh, what was really positive about this beer was it has remained consistently on the most popular car scale. Um, and so, yeah, like a lot of that is just down to the fact that the, the, the flavour complexity just means that people don't even worry about sessioning on it for it being a 5% plus beer. Yeah. Uh, super, super yeah. tasty. Okay. And you're saying this is this one of the core beers? It is indeed, yes. Okay. And what other core beers do you have? Probably too many, to be honest. Because <laughs> it's created, massive core range. Of- I mean, it's it's, cre- it's created like a, the, the fun challenge of trying to keep up with demand for all the the skews at, at the same time. But like, we're just about keeping up with it at the moment. So we've got Fastback is like our our West Coast Pale. Uh, we've got Bluebell, which is our best bitter. We've got our Session IPA, which is a former World of Beer Award winner. Uh, what else have we got? We've got Double Act, which is a 4.5 Hazy Pale. Uh, we've got Checkmates, which is a dry hopped Pilsner Lager, which will be hopefully back in can in the next couple of weeks. It takes that long, long, long time for Lager to do their work. But yeah, we're almost ready to release that one back into the market, which would be great. Um, we've got Green Monster, which is our core range New England IPA. Um, and then... Last but not least, which has probably become our almost our flagship beer in the, in the last like nine ten months, is one called Sussex Haze. Right. So Sussex Haze is a four point five percent double dry hop juicy pale. Um, so it's citra mosaic, and it's just a phenomenal beer. Like mm-hmm. it just ticks all the boxes that one would look for from a, a hazy pale ale. All the complexity and flavour in terms of your dry hopping that you would come to expect from like a cloud water verdant dipper kind of level but obviously then at 4.5% right. you can quaff it to your heart's content until obviously certain other things get in the way like drunkenness but <laughs> yeah. yeah like and again the proof's in the pool do we ever let that get in the way? Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe not sometimes. so much maybe sometimes but <laughs> <laughs> I mean again it's just like we, we like to sort of judge the success on how the beers are received in the market. And again, it's just proved phenomenally popular. Like pubs are taking it left, right and centre. Like with very little convincing people are dropping lager lines of your macros and putting it on in their pubs now just because they love it. That All their front of house and back of staff love it. Their, their regular punters come in and love it. And so it's just one after the next. Yeah, and I, I, I love it myself. Like mm. It's a fantastic, fantastic beer. Excellent. Before we uh, started recording the podcast today, um, Rush has actually got a couple of your beers on tap. Uh, We had the the Boomerang, the New England IPA with Australian hops, and uh, there was a New Zealand version. What was the name of that? Fish Hook, the New Zealand version. Um, And I had a little taster of uh, both of those, and uh, they were lovely, really good. I preferred the Fish Hook. I don't know what your opinion is on on that one. So me personally, I'm a massive, massive fan of Nelson Sobin. Um, It's the first beer that we've produced since I've been in the company that's had Nelson in it, and I've become a bit of a broken record, probably to the annoyance of my my colleagues more than anything, (laughs) because I've just become this Nelson fanboy. But it's, yeah, it's just such a a gorgeous, gorgeous hop. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's a pity we don't have it with us today, but I've got the, the boomerang. Uh, with me, so we can uh, crack that one open in a second and talk people through that one if you if you fancy. Uh, why not? Let's yeah. have a little look at that. I'm a bit intrigued about your um, the sour you've got there as well, and I'm sure that yeah, Gus is as well. well it, it seems <laughs> certainly thematic, given obviously what Gus was saying. I mean, was it uh, Beck from 
Electric Bear, you were saying. Back from Electric Bear, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's got one of That beaver ring is. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, whilst I said that I preferred the fish hook, um, I still very much uh, enjoyed this as well, the, the taste that I had. I think for me, the fish hook, the hops were not quite so in your face, which is not necessarily why I preferred it, because actually I do like a really aggressively hoppy uh, beer. But for, for some reason, the fish hook for me, uh, I, I did, I did um, enjoy Fantastic. And it's an interesting one because they were part of a, a, a twin series. Unfortunately, we ran into issues while canning fish hooks, so it's going to be rebrewed to being canned in due course. The hope would have been to have released them simultaneously, but um, it just gives people an opportunity to whet the appetite with one and then the other. If they get a chance to chat on the bar, mm. then it'll be in canon in, in due course. Yeah. Um, but then what was interesting with it, as like, like I said, it was a, a, a twin set of beers, yeah. was that we kept all other variables constant. So exactly the same grist bill went into both the beers, uh, the same London Fog house strain yeast that we've been cultivating for the last six, seven months now uh, went into both, the same dry hop rates, the same temperatures, the whole yeah. process from end to end, except for the hops included, the hops. was exactly the same. And then, so because of that, it really does then show off just between Australia and New Zealand, just how different the hop flavours you can get. It does, doesn't it? I it's mean, really interesting. This is so much more dank than than the uh, than the New Zealand ones. It, it's amazing, as you're saying, that really the only difference between these two beers are the hops used. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a massive, massive fan of it. And again, it's all with all of our specials. So Boomerang and Fisher are two of our, lim- our limited specials. Um, the boys in the production team are always thinking of little ways just to change the process in a bid to sort of take best practice and apply it to the core range. Um, and so with these, they've made some slightly different changes to their, their dry hopping rate, both sort of in both sort of in the hot and the cold side, experimenting with how much to put into the whirlpool and all that kind of thing. Uh, all of it, with the intention of trying to get as much hot flavor as possible and also aid the whole biotransformation process. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, like, you can't see it now because we're only audio, but that beer is completely opaque. Um, yeah, and it's indeed. completely what we're chasing with all of our New England styles now. And like I said, with our New England styles, London Fog is our house yeast drain. And just following on what the, um, what the guys earlier were saying, like, yeast, in terms of what it can do, is, like, quite phenomenal. And again, it's, like, often the most underrated element of beer because people just don't expect it to contribute flavors let yeah. alone a difference to mouthfeel or a difference to the head retention the type of bubbles you see in the head yeah um and so a lot of that is just it's just down down to the yeast and so yeah like we definitely feel that we're on a good pathway in terms of getting our our hazy uh, opaque dank yeah. juicy beers um to be one better than the next yeah. really people talk so much about the hops that are used in the beer and the malts the yeast is definitely the unsung hero. Um, it's it's you know I mean I love some of those farmhouse and the you know Belgian beer. We're talking earlier on about Belgian beers as well, and um, you know the flavours that they can bring to a beer. Kvik yeast as well um, uh, that brings such a, a unique flavour to to the beers. So quite often it's it's something that's overlooked. Yeah, um, just on the note on the note of yeast, back in I think it was April, we did again another twin Nipah series. One was called London Fog, one was called More Mist, uh, and that was again rather than having the hops being the variables, it was then the yeast, the yeast. The variables. So London yeah. Fog was named eponymously after the house yeast stream we were using. More Mist took the verdant IPA packet yeast 
Um, and then we paid a little homage to Vernon with the whole time and place. It had Pendennis Castle on the can, uh, more being the Cornish word for sea. So keeping on that whole Sussex haze, London right. fog, more mist kind of theme to the names of the beers. Um, and so that was the first time that I'd sort of really seen anything quite like that as a beer fan or working in the industry myself was just, again, keeping all variables constant. Yeah. Then you just put a different yeast into the two respective beers. Uh-huh. And the differences were, just, were startling. Like, again, all those points I was saying, like, the, the mouthfeel was different, the frothiness was different, the, the head retention, the different sort of, like, top points of the flavour profiles um, and the subtleties and all the rest of it. And so just all of that came down to the yeast. Wow. That sounds very interesting experiments to sort of try with the, with the side-by-side. So is, is uh, malt going to be the next... Uh experiment side by side i mean never say never um <laughs> but I, I think i think from what i gather from the, the production team they're close to kind of being really content with what their base malt is yeah. um because obviously that gives you all the sugars and the the color that you want from your beers so again like you never say never um yeah. i might it's not might, it's not on the plans at the moment not at the minute <laughs> no i mean, we, I mean we, we've actually we've got beer plans i think to do us through until the early start of next year in terms of specials yeah. and all the rest of it so right. yeah but i'll add it to the list see what the boys are thinking yeah <laughs> absolutely Looking around your website earlier, I noticed you have a uh, 360 subscription club. I do, yes. Beer 360. So, um, yeah, so Beer 360 is a monthly subscription club. Um, people, like customers, pay £36 a month, uh, gets you a dozen beers. And so with that, we use that to showcase the new beers that are coming out each month. So last month, Boomerang was going to be was going to be the centrepiece of it. Uh, we've used the Berry Sour previously, month before was the fog and the mist and so it gives like what's probably like arguably becoming sort of like a really sort of core base of, of the support for the brewery an opportunity to try our beers see how the core range is developing um and yeah it's, it's been really really fun so we've done a, we've done a couple of tastings with, with the group online during the darker months of the lockdowns yeah. um and it's just for us it's a, it's a nice challenge because it means that we've always got um like an avenue direct to a very sort of dedicated beer drinking enthusiastic crowd who just want to keep trying 360 and so we want like, hey well, we want to create funky new flavors for these people we want to give more people an opportunity to do that um and so yeah so that's part of our challenge is to, to just to keep keep ensuring we can give people value for money with it yeah, yeah. Great. um and we, we certainly think think we do and we're like at the minute thinking of some different ideas behind the scenes for things to help make it even more of a, a, a great club to be a part of. Yeah. Um, so that one idea we're looking at at the minute is different ways we can like encourage extra discounts in our soon-to-be-coming tap room, which will be happening hopefully before the end of this year. Um, and yeah, just various other ways to just keep people involved. Um, yeah. And it's really, really fun because then we've got, like I said, that dedicated core uh, element of our, of our support group, mm-hmm. our, our fan base, as you will, to just, yeah, just keep giving them creative, interesting beers. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so what do you look for when you go to, uh, to, to bars, tap rooms? What you, what's your kind of port of call? Uh, so the first one is how few macro lagers they have on the, on the taps. Yeah, Which, absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, definitely. <laughs> it, it just, it, for me, it definitely shows that whoever the publicans are are keen to support not just local, not just independent, but also good beer. Um, yes. And so once that sort of initial point's been ticked... Um, I kind of go, go, go with the wind a little bit, uh, depending on the season, how I'm feeling, 
what I may have had previously to drink or eat, I'll, and I'll kind of just be a bit spontaneous. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I've not had a dipper in a while. I've not had a, a sour since yesterday. <laughs> I can have that one tonight. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and where do you lie on cheese? Oh, I am a big, big fan of cheese. Um, like, if it's melting, it's even better. So, I mean, like, to me, I'm a sucker for a camembert. Uh, although a bit of a curveball, how about Oaxacan cheese? So, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what? Cheese Oaxacan from, cheese from Oaxaca, yeah. So okay, Mexico, Mexico, yeah. yeah. So I was I was lucky before COVID was really a thing to spend a couple of weeks in Mexico back in November, and most of that time was spent in the Oaxaca state, which is where most of like the indigenous culture that you see in the modern age of Mexico stems from. Uh, one massive part of that being the cuisine and just. I just love the fact you'd go around all these food stalls and just seeing cheese being stretched like seven, eight foot, and then you're being strung onto your plate alongside all the other like pastor meat and all the rest of it. So yeah, yeah um, big big fan of that. But yeah, slightly closer to, to us in the UK. I, I, yeah, definitely a Camembert fan for sure. Right. Okay. Wonderful. Ben, thank you so much uh, for spending time chatting with me and uh, for the tasters of beers as well. Very very much enjoyed those. You're very welcome. Really thank really you. pleased to be here. Cheers Thanks for having me. So that was the third and final brewery guest, and it was really interesting to hear about the recent reinvention of the brewery. Uh, We did intend to also sample the Berry Berry Sour, but didn't get to it on the recording. However, we cracked a can open just after we finished and enjoyed the gorgeous summer fruitiness of raspberries, blackberries and fresh strawberries. Those of you who listen regularly will know that I'm not the biggest fan of sour beers, but I've recently grown to appreciate them more and uh, this one was certainly spot on for the type that I like worthy of the name sour but not to the point where you screw your face up on every sip Uh, the summer berry fruits flavors came through with raspberry being the most dominant flavor for me okay so the final guest was our venue host Rush from Hopstop right so now I'm joined by our host this evening uh, I'm hosting the podcast, obviously, but this is our host in venue-wise, uh, Rush from Hopstop. Yes, thank you. Thanks for coming down, Paul. No, no worries. Um, as people will know on the podcast, uh, this is my local. Um, Most week. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw, because I work in Rygate, well, when the, the pandemic isn't stopping me from working, I work in Rygate, and so that's why it's sort of, that's what's brought it to my attention. Um, but although I live a little bit further away, I'll definitely make the trip as often as I can. Rush, tell me a little bit about uh, Hopstop, because I know that uh, the Rygate site that we're sitting in isn't the start of the story. No, no, we started, well, it seems a long time ago, back in 2015. Um, it was actually started originally uh, by my wife, Ruth, um, and my brother-in-law, Mike, um, supported by... Uh, myself uh, and Becky, um, who's Rue's sister. It's a family business. Um, and, yeah, we, we started off with um, a small unit over in Oxted, which we still have, uh, which is the Oxted shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, beer to take away. We don't have a drinking license, although we do uh, small pop-ups where we, we get a special license uh, where we put some tables and chairs outside and you can enjoy a pint in. But um, now predominantly Oxted is takeaway. So, yeah, in 2015 we started that. My brother-in-law and Becky, who Mike's married to, uh, Ruth's sister, 
they uh, moved back from New Zealand, or might lived in New Zealand, and he, he came over to the UK to start it with Ruth. Um, I was still in Bruin at the time, um, down at Dark Star, and yeah, it's just gone from there. And so, it's two thousand and. Ooh, 2019 we started here, um, so we got our second site, uh-huh. it's a multi-site, it sounds very grand, it but does, uh, yes. it's uh, very exciting. We always wanted to do a bar, it was just finding the, the right premises for yeah. it. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, the opportunity came up in Rygate, um, it was a complete shell, um, and yeah, we, we did a, a huge fit out and, um, and opened the bar. And yeah. 2019. So. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I remember for, from living around this area for, for quite a long time, I remember this actually was a restaurant, an Italian restaurant yep. called La Lanterna. And uh, it looks massively different now. Well, as you'd expect, obviously, if you're going to fit something out, yeah. you know, and as you said, it was a shell. But uh, it looks massively different. You've done a great job. Um, it's, you know, looking absolutely fantastic. Uh, so that started, uh, you started up in 2019. Um, yep. And of course, then... Then, and a year later, yes, yes, pandemic yeah. here. Well, we had a great year before the pandemic. Um, yeah, it was very well received. Um, people liked what we did with it. The styling is kind of, we wanted something that's comfortable but modern, um, which is quite a tricky uh, brief. Um, I should actually at this point mention that uh, Roos and Becky's uh, and, my, and Mike's um, uh, father-in-law, or the, the, their dad uh, is uh, an architect um, okay. and very keen eye for, you know, anything to do with buildings and fitting <laughs> them out and so he was building in charge, them. Was he? he had a, a big part in uh, <laughs> getting the lovely clean lines that you see here and and, and the feel yeah. for the place. But we all had our input. Um, we're quite a big family. So, uh, yeah, and it, it seems to have come together. Um, yeah, we got rid of all the... The kind of there were windows that didn't let much light in at all, uh, and uh, yeah, put some yeah, just tried to brighten the place up and make yeah. it feel comfortable, but as I say, quite clean and modern to try and appeal to as many people as possible, you know. It's, right, uh, okay, you know. well, mission accomplished. Definitely. Thank you very much, yeah. Um, and uh, recently, uh, there's been a little bit of a change in the structure that you were sort of talking about there. Uh, yes, yeah. So my brother-in-law uh, Mike and uh, my sister-in-law Becky, they they left the business now. Um, uh, the story is, uh, I think they they came over from New Zealand. Um, well, Becky obviously had lived here before, uh, but Mike had flown in from New Zealand the day we opened the shop. So really, um, pretty much, yeah. Wow. It was the day before, a couple of days before. Okay. So, uh, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. Straight straight into the the deep end um knew a lot about beer very keen on um you know anything beer related uh a big uh follower of cast beer but something that you couldn't really get out in new zealand so mm. um yeah so f- for him he's only really seen kind of the oxted the rygate and hawley where we we all live um so i think a big part of it was of leaving the business was to kind of spread the wings and see the rest of the UK a little right. bit more. Running a small business is all-consuming. It's um, Yeah, I can it's, imagine. It's, it's really full-on. Um, 
so yeah, new challenges yeah. for the, those two. And especially uh, going between the two sites, I guess. As yes, well, yeah. So. Oh, we go back and forth, Oxted to Rygate, <laughs> Oxted to Rygate. You must be able to drive the road without even. <laughs> yeah, thinking. you have to be a bit careful with the M25, but um, yeah, that's uh, yeah. So th- those guys have they're, they're, they're moving on. Um, still very keen on their beers. Uh, might still working in the in the beer industry as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, Ruth and I are gonna plough on with the, the hop stop mission which is to yeah try and provide all these great range of beers that the, the guys have been talking about um, fantastic to yeah. as many people as possible you know doing our bit absolutely in the chain yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so how many um so uh, how many taps do you have uh, so so over in oxted we have more cast lines we have uh, four casks available uh, not all at once you usually have about two on um but probably in a weekend, get through about four casts. Uh, then two keg lines, again, can vary between one and two. Um, and then over in Rygates, it's a bigger picture, so we got uh, nine and three casks, uh, so nine kegs, three casks. Okay, excellent. So uh, I know, obviously, at the moment, where, where you're sort of getting back to being in full swing you're sort yeah. of a few down but ordinarily yeah. you'll have 12 different beers on yeah so pandemic I, I, I think beer is freshness um so we're not going to put three casts on uh and similarly with keg i mean keg obviously lasts a lot longer mm-hmm. um certainly under gas so but even still we want that turnover so we, we've reduced it down to eight lines at the moment um down to the single cast line in rygate and um then uh, seven seven kegs, right. so still uh, yeah. a, a wide offering. Absolutely and, and, is, yeah, indeed. And most weeks we would change probably three or four kegs over, um, mm. and then a, a new cask um, every week. So okay, uh, and also you've obviously got a, a nice full fridge here, oh. and obviously a, a lot more at uh, Oxted, being that it's more of a kind of bottle shop. Yep. So you've got sort of uh, more there. And you do a, a weekly click and collect. Uh, yeah, so that, that was a thing we were always thinking about but never got around to doing. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And obviously in Rygate, we couldn't actually do click and collect. So we had to click and deliver. Um, it's part of one of the crazy well, was, rules for that, that, that was a rule from the local council. <laughs> yes. Oh well, from national national government. Really, Boris. Yeah. Okay. Um, we were happily doing click and collect, and then the second or third lockdown, they um, they said no Stopped more it. collections from bar. I think a few places were abusing the rule and right. offering pints to take away, but essentially stand outside. So I think that's why they put a stamp on that. But yeah. Either way, yeah, so we, we send out a new list each Tuesday at noon, um, along with an email, all about the, the different beers on there, um, and yeah, people can order what they fancy, and then and it's ready for collection on either Oxted or, or Rygate on um, Thursday, Friday or Saturday. Um, okay. But yeah, it's a new refresh list each week, we have some core bits and stuff that remains in the fridge, mm. um, but yeah... I think on average it's about 15 or 20 new beers a week yeah. uh, that we yeah. release on that. And a wide uh, range of breweries as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we usually lead with a kind of theme or uh, something really interesting uh, that's come in this week. Uh, in fact, this week we've got the we're leading with 360s 
fish hook and the boomerang beer. So, um, yeah, that's that's selling really well. The list closes actually on a Wednesday afternoon now, um, which allows us time okay. to get the beers ready and make sure they're allocated to the orders. So before the, 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 the doors open at Hoxton Rygate. So, right, yeah. excellent. That reminds me, I forgot to put my order in this week. <laughs> Come on, Paul. <laughs> you can wander in. Now and... you said that Wednesdays, Wednesdays close. I'm like, damn. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm wandering. That's fine. Uh, during, I mean, during lockdown, <laughs> <laughs> during lockdown, we, we were... St- we would go through cases on there so it was essential yeah. to order whereas now you know most so most cases get through to the fridges yeah. um yeah but it's always best to to order through click and collect and another thing we do is put all the rygate beers on the list and all the oxted beers on the list so whatever location you pick up from or live nearby you get an opportunity to to have a go at those beers so, yeah um, Okay. And, some, back. and sometimes you have those beers where it says uh, limited to one per person. Yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> one this week actually, which is a, a new Cloud Water 11%. Um, it's got uh, everything in it. It's all your favourite desserts. <laughs> literally say, everything. Literally it, everything. <laughs> with a sprinkle of chilli as well. It's, it, it's phenomenal reviews. I haven't tried it yet. I'm waiting for the weekend to try that on a saturday evening i think yeah um but yeah that's that i think has actually made it through to the fridges but it's not going to last this week so no, no. if you wanted one pool get down to oh, yeah, no, I'm, sure, I'm sure don't worry i'll, I'll have a, sounds I'll right, have a clean look sounds, sounds right <laughs> up my street um and so you know this is obviously part of the uh you know the the downside of your job of course is having to you know trial try out the beers it really is. I, I feel sorry for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right, right here. <laughs> I Ruth it. and I, I mean, our, half of our fridge is taken up by beers. <laughs> uh, we try our best to get through. We've got a young family, a, a two-year-old and an eight-month-year-old. So finding those moments to sit down with an 11% imperial stout is challenging. Mm-hmm. So a few of those, yeah. as yeah. Uh, for the best of us, you know. <laughs> but, no, but um, I, I guess at least uh, maybe perhaps on those you get to share it. Yes, yeah. yeah, oh yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Reese, very, very good palate um, and loves her beers. Um, and we have great discussions long into the into the evening about them. Uh, we've got yeah. our Allagash beers, which were yes. yeah. imported from Maine in the United States, uh, a brewery I've been longing to get hold of for a long while. And um, yeah, they. They're, they're available in the UK. We put them on the click and collect list. Sold out, apart from four bottles, which uh, Ruth and I have... Uh, Found their way into your yes, fridge. Yes, they're in the <laughs> fridge. And we actually go, funny, uh, we're going to pair it with cheese uh, and have oh. a proper evening. I won't ask you which cheese yet. No. I'll ask you later on. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so kids in bed and yeah. then go outside. Maybe light a candle, who knows, and who knows, yeah. sit down with those Allagash beers and enjoy with some cheese. But, yeah. That sounds ideal. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, that is a perk of the job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I think let's get into something a bit heavier now. Let's talk about the the battle, really, that you guys are facing with craft beer now being a lot more readily available in supermarkets. Um, you know, it not really that long. I know, obviously, there have been some craft beers, you know, up to maybe only, I think, maybe two or three years, really, it's exploded as much, and different breweries that never been 
in supermarkets have started to, to, to sort of find listings in the big supermarkets. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be so crass as to sort of say, how is that affecting you? Because, you know, it's, it's quite obvious. But, you know, what's your view on a brewery? I'm, I'm not talking about a brew dog where, you know, they are in literally every supermarket and there's so many of them. But some of the little ones, when they find the listing, what's your view on, on that? Yeah, well, I mean, let's go back to 2015. It, yeah. To paint a picture, the, we opened the shop and I may have had one can in there, but the, the, everything was bottles. It was, yeah. So how much it's changed since then? I mean, would you open a craft beer bottle can shop now? I don't know, you'd have to have a, a serious think about it. But, um, yeah, it's it's changed massively. Uh, it's quite nice knowing from the brewery side. I mean, we've worked with supermarkets down at Dark Star and things, and, you know, they they ask for beers at certain price points and everything. So yeah. the beers that we get in, we try and... Yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's there's no no doubt about it. It's affected business. It's but there are always new breweries popping up, and yeah, um, we try and showcase them as much as we can. New ingredients. I think where the beers we try and get in a bit more that innovation element to it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I don't blame breweries for going with the supermarkets. That that uh, that volume is is. Massively appealing, you know, and um, and yeah, that's it's, it's just business, you know. Yeah. It's emotional. It's uh, don't get me wrong, you know. The, the classic one recently was Cloudwater, yeah, um, going into Tesco's, um, but they were three three beers of many, you know, um, and we still get the Cloudwater beers in uh, a special yeah. that have uh, a little bit of difference to them, and because I, I guess it depends. I- of course, you'll never list a beer. You never stock a beer which is also in the supermarket. You're never going to be able to compete with that. Yeah. But the the ones that they do, you know, Cloudwater, um, you know, other breweries, maybe Vault City. I mean, obviously, you've got a Vault City beer on draft today, and they've got some in supermarkets. Um, so, you know, if we're talking about the, the 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 more nuanced and interesting beers that these breweries produce, which we know they do, and obviously they're not restricted as you were mentioning just now about that price point that they've got to meet uh, in order to be in tesco morrison's etc um but you're okay with uh, with soccer yeah i mean we'll see how it goes i mean the the cloud water one for instance was a great unknown you know how would they sell um they always a great seller you know sell a case easily mm. a week of those um but they'll never uh, be able to put those kind of ones that those those bigger, more powerful beers into the supermarkets, no, would they? No, so. and if they did, then what can you do? I mean, it's the problem with the supermarkets. They, they they drive that price down, down and down and down. It just makes other beers look ridiculous. It's it, but how can you compete? It's uh, yeah. hopefully uh, the beers that we stock um, come through in terms of flavour and interest, and uh, I mean that's all you can do. Um, we try and keep prices down as best as we can, but obviously you've got to make the business sustainable. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, you, you have to make a profit as well. You can't you can't try to, to, to sort yeah. of mirror the supermarket price because you don't have the same scale of economy. Yeah, that's right. Exactly that. Um, it's 
we're at the end of the chain, you know, it's, there's only so much we can do. But, I mean, this is one of the beauties of being an independent business is that, that innovation and mm. trying to come up with new ideas, how we deliver beer, how we talk about beer and things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what we can do. Um, service, it all comes into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Being close also, to customers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the fact is if you go into a supermarket, uh, you cannot have a chat with one of the supermarket workers there socking the shelves about the beers. At the end of the day, they know absolutely nothing about it. But you can come into your shop, you can have a chat. You know, if you don't know what you're really after, or you know roughly what you're kind of after, but you don't know what you have that uh, kind of meets that, you can have a nice chat with, with yourself or Ruth or, or you know, your other staff and get you know, your, your requirements met because you're talking to somebody who knows about the, the beers and knows what they're talking about. That's exactly it. I mean, that's where that passion comes across, hopefully, in the, yeah. when we're talking about the beers and the, the great stories and different beers that you know, come out each week. Um, we could talk for hours and hours about the different ones. Um, another big thing, and again, talk about innovation, is um, when we open the shop, uh, all our beers were on the shelves. Um, we then started calling the shop, which meant we were freezing, but the beer was okay. Um, but then we thought, right, right let's let's take the uh, plump and uh, put fridges in, so yeah. and a cool room, so everything's stored in the cool. Everything yeah. um, available in front of the customers is now in fridges. Um, yeah. So 100% of our beer is now in the cool, which. Yeah. The supermarket's a long, long way away from that, whether it, they'll ever get exactly. there or care about that. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. You know, you don't get that uh, care and attention to the yeah. storing of the beer. Yeah, um, and that's not the, the case for you know, certain styles. They can they stand up to it. But the, the, these hazy New England IPAs and yeah. things, that fresh hops, you know, they, yeah. they, they start to deteriorate. Yeah, your, your stouts or your Belgian quads and things like that would be fine. But, yeah, as you said, the, the more kind of fresher styles... They would, they would absolutely struggle with that. Okay, okay, excellent. Have we got any plans, or have, well, I say we, um, have you got any plans for the, for the future? Yeah, I mean, we, we had to react pretty quick with the supermarkets taking off uh, on the craft beer front and uh, various other different pressures, online businesses, um, yeah, if the competition's coming thick and fast now, um, since 2015, well, probably a little bit after that, actually, 2017, 18, it, it started to hit. So we're always trying to innovate. Um, we feel like the range is right now. Um, we like to do a bit more locally, for sure. Um, and we've got a dedicated locals fridge now in Oxted. Um, um, but there's so many breweries that you know are in demand that we need to get on there. So yeah. there's all of that. So product-wise, we're in a good place, I think. Um, a little bit more tweaking to do. Um, in terms of other sites, different avenues, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We want to sure. get right. Yeah. Oxted's doing great. That's fine. Rygate, we need to get people back here. You know, that's... Yeah. It's ticking along at a third of capacity of that. Um, and, yeah, it's just getting people out and about. But, you know, we know that's going to take time. But if we were talking about, uh, you know, 
seeing the end of the pandemic, yeah, uh, that's, that's or, or at least the end of the restrictions, uh, because I think you know we'll probably <laughs> seeing the end of the pandemic. I think we're probably come some kind of way off, but seeing yeah. the end of restrictions, meaning that you can get back to full capacity here, uh, you're looking at perhaps looking at new sites. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I always try and split the business, the industry, down into those three tiers that the Americans uh, distinguish quite clearly and um, restrict. But uh, there's obviously production, there's the distribution, and then there's the retail. We're the final piece in the, the jigsaw. So more retail sites, whether drinking or, or takeaway, for sure. I mean, that's our home ground um, distribution tricky one being in the middle there um possible it means we can get hold of some of the the best beers out there um from around the uk and then production who knows you know um <laughs> i mean looking at morgan there it's uh, yeah. it's always so, uh, a little, appeal, uh but little pilot kit out back yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> having worked in brew i like you know <laughs> eager to get back after two or three years so um yeah. but yeah, stainless steel is expensive, let's put it that way. <laughs> so is retail, so is everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. So uh, what's, uh, what are your favourite uh, styles of beers and favourite beers as well? In fact? Yeah, like a lot in the beer industry at the moment, it's that, that easy going one right at the end of the day. It's been a challenging year for all of those set, uh, elements of the brewing industry and you can't beat a German lager. Um, yeah. in style not necessarily brewed, brewed in Germany although they do a good job of it they do. Um, but yeah a, a lager you know when Morgan was talking about that <laughs> that lager he's thinking about you, just, oh, the, you can you can imagine lager. sipping yeah. it right now and yeah. uh, um, that's certainly appealing so good good kind of German style you know that that gulpability as Dave Roberts who I used to work down at Pilgrim as well um, used to talk about um, something about it, you know. That's that's so refreshing. Um, but yeah, I, I re- my favourite beer. I say all time, but it's one that really sticks in my mind at the moment. It's one from Burning Sky. It's called Petit Saison. Oh yeah, really. It's like three point five percent. It's got that zinginess. They tend to do it in seven fifty mil bottles, don't they? Uh, oh, that one's in four forty mil cans. Is it four forty? Yeah. Oh, right, so okay. Over lockdown, I got through several. And of Burning them. Sky do a lot of big bottles, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's a really, I mean, dedicated to that kind of farmhouse. Saison styles, you know, Burning Sky, anything that comes out from them, try and get hold of. It's um, yeah. They're really good brewers. Um, so I like that kind of style as well. A little bit of interest, but still that drinkability and uh, gulpability, mm. coin the word again. But, gulpability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gulpability, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, going yeah, back to Gus's yeah. point, yeah. yeah. It's Absolutely. It's, 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 it's when you want that second one. It's, it's a yeah. real thing. It's... Um, um, and that can come at all strengths, but you know it's those those lighter styles. Yeah. I think I really enjoy. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the pressure is definitely on Morgan now. Uh, I think. Yeah, no pressure, man. I think a few, a few <laughs> people are after his non lager now. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to make it. Get those nons. Um, and uh, do you have a particular cheese that uh, you know you mentioned? That this thing you were going to do with Ruth and your and your uh, Alagash, Alagash yeah. beers. What what cheese is the perfect accompaniment? Yeah, so so Ruth and I absolutely despite we we love our food, we love our drink, uh, 
but the one thing that we don't like is goat's cheese. So it's certainly okay. not going to be goat's not cheese. Goat's yeah. cheese, right? Awful okay. stuff. <laughs> too strong in it. Oh, it just yeah. tastes like. Oh, oh, no, oh we get, we're, we're getting some we're getting some dissenting voices yeah. in the rest of the bar here. Yeah, we've got a little eight month year old with reflux, and sometimes it smells like that. And it's <laughs> so it might not be the cheese itself; it might be the association. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's long before that, but long yeah, before, right, it's, uh, yeah. So not goat's cheese. Not goat's uh, cheese. Okay. Partial to a baby bell every so often. Um, <laughs> lovely waxy finish to it, yeah. But uh, no, so I'm, I'm strong cheddar, that real vintage cheddar, okay. which isn't everyone's cup of tea. It may be a little bit crunch so, in there. So strong, uh, so mature that it's got the kind of crystal. Yeah, yeah, I love all uh, of that, yeah. I do real, like that as well. Because it stands up to it, it's got that, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And um, we had a a brewery open day down at Dartstar and uh, my boss at the time, James, introduced me to a, a cheddar called Black Bomber. It oh. uh, comes in I like a, a, a black yeah, bomb. Black like, case, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, cut into that, a superb, really, really good cheddar. Um, so, yeah, nice, strong, vintage cheddar. Right, okay. Traditional. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've obviously asked everybody else what their favourite cheese is, but you have the honour of posing the question to the next guest. I've got an idea. Blimey. Go on then, <laughs> Gus. <laughs> you know, you run a bar. Yeah. Kind of, what's the best company to like, best snack for a beer? Oh, oh great one, yes. Good and, question. And that's cheese. Yeah. cheese. Yeah, so so snacks is one thing we are trying to innovate on. We've got a kitchen, but we don't want to go full-blown food. Um, so, yeah, a, the question to the next guest would be, in terms of a, a, the, the best snack you can imagine to have with beer, uh, what would that be? Right. Okay. Thank you, Gus, from Pilgrim. Excellent, excellent <laughs> question. Excellent question. Uh, able, uh, well, well aided there from Gus. Fantastic. Well... Rush, uh, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you, and thank you so much for hosting um, very first live, well, I say live, in-person recording rather than live. Thank you so much for hosting and uh, for chatting with us. It's been uh, tremendous. Thank you. No, thank you, Paul, and uh, good luck with uh, the the future years of the podcast. So one year down and doing a grand job. Uh, yeah. So. One year, many, many more to come, yeah, I hope. Indeed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we didn't have any cake, but we had something much better, beer, and lots of it too. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came along to the recording again. It was superb to chat in person with the four of you and to sample some absolutely fantastic beers. Uh, also, thanks to all of my previous guests over the last year. It's certainly gone quickly the first year and began as a little project to take up some time while I was on furlough, but has now grown to so much more. I've got some absolutely spectacular plans for the second year. I won't mention them just yet as there are still some I's to dot and T's to cross, but safe to say that the great calibre of guests will continue and as things open up more and more, there will be some very different and unique episodes. But also a big thanks to everyone who listens. It's incredible to think that this little project that I started a year ago has also garnered the interest of so many other people. And I'm eternally grateful to you all for spending an hour, or sometimes more, listening to me and my guests prattle on about beer. 
I did plan to take a summer break, but the three-week holiday I was going to go on has been cancelled. So uh, I will do a bit of a summer schedule for the podcast. The next episode will be in three and a half weeks' time on Wednesday, 18th of August, and will feature beer writer Matt Curtis. I spoke to Matt as part of the Christmas special, but this one will focus on his brand new book, Modern British Beer, which comes out on the 12th of August and can be pre-ordered from the Camera Books website, a link to which can be found on the pinned tweet on Matt's Twitter profile, which is at Total Curtis. We'll also talk about Matt's magazine Pellicle, his other writing and photography work, and naturally about the beers that he loves to drink. All of this will be conducted over a few beers, of course. Then the next episode after that will be a further three weeks later on the 8th of September. And then following that, I will go back to fortnightly. If you don't already, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My username on both of those is at UK. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you listen on. And if it allows, why not give feedback and a rating? I do love to read your comments, and if you've got any breweries that you'd love to hear me talk to, then let me know as well. I'll then do my very best to get them onto the podcast. Well, have a great summer. See you in three and a half weeks.